You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and David's Pick, the one show that I get to do at my radio station. But that's all we need because we've got great guests like our guest today is Jim Davis, and we're going to be talking about some very interesting things, uh, not only... Briefly talk about Jim's career and uh, what he what he was doing, uh, what he did in the military, briefly. But then we're going to talk about, and we want, if you're a veteran, and or you know a veteran, please call them and tell them to listen, because this is this can affect every veteran in the United States, and is, and we need your help to fix this. So with that being said, as we always do, and this is what we're going to do this morning, just a little bit of a change, we're going to do our normal moment of silence, and uh, if you go to our website, you'll understand why. It's uh, in memory of my best friend, J. Roy Ritchie. He and I are both from Texas, and uh, he died this year of from agent orange and uh, so many others suffer so many things that uh, you know when they raise their hand they wrote a blank check to the government and uh, we like to just say a brief prayer for him and then we're going to do something a little bit different and we'd ask you to join us in the pledge of allegiance we'll be back right after a moment of silence Thank you. Amen. And if you'll join us now, we would um, like to do, and we honor our flag and honor our country by pledging allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. You know, Jim, thank you for coming in today and and being a part of David's pick. And uh, I also want to always thank a gentleman named Colonel Retired Rick White. And uh, Rick is uh, behind the scenes, sort of, but not really because he is a big part of this show and in lining up and scheduling folks to come in and tell their stories. And uh, Rick is also the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And it is open uh, Monday through Friday, and uh, 
Rick does one heck of a job with the Military Hall of Fame. And if you know someone that has a, had a distinguished career in the military or served in the military and, you know, honorably discharged and whatever they happen to do, uh, if you think they're worthy of being a part of the Hall of Fame, be sure and get a hold of Rick White. And uh, Rick will take care of you and uh, get information, and who knows where it'll go from there. But anyway, uh, Jim, you and I have something very important to talk about to begin with. We do. Um, And this can be or could be affecting every veteran in the country. And without sounding melodramatic or anything like this, what I found is that this could be a situation that one organization is literally killing people. And I, I don't mean it lightly. And uh, what I do mean is there's the National Archives of Personnel Administration and all military records ultimately wind up in the National Archive. And it is there to, if you are a veteran, any shape, form, or fashion of a veteran, you are entitled to call and request some of some or all of your records. And when I say it's literally killing people, if you're in need of medical benefits that the government promised you, but you need to prove that you were in NOM and sprayed by Agent Orange, or you need this, or you need that. Since March of 2020, you weren't able to get those records because they've been closed down. And, Jim, you found out something interesting. <laughs> I, I, you can't even call it a skeleton crew today. It's... It's a skeleton maybe without bones, but um, they've only reopened with a small fraction of their staff. And I know personally I needed some records. I still do, and I can't get them. What else did you find out, Jim? Well, I had not heard of this issue, David, until we talked yesterday. And after talking with you, um, I made a couple calls and, and did some web searches. And one of the calls I made was to the Georgia representative, VFW representative, to the National Council of Administration, uh, which is at the national level of the VFW. Uh, And he is usually aware of veterans' issues but was not aware of this. And he promised that he's going to run it up the chain of the VFW to see if maybe they can put some pressure on. But what we're talking about is what's known as the NPRC, the National Personnel Records Center, It's in St. Louis. Uh, And I happen to recall as I was sitting here just at the beginning of the show that we had a new comrade in our VFW post in Alpharetta who had taken like nine months to get his (laughs) DD-214. And it wasn't until earlier this year that he had that document. And I think now I know why he had so much uh, trouble getting that. And that was because they had functionally closed that office, as you said, on March 29th, I think, of last year, of 2020. Um, 
what I found from their website, from various posts on that, that as of March the 8th of this year, which is one year later, they entered into what they called a phased expansion of our on-site workforce, quote-unquote. And then at on March the 29th, they announced that they had increased the on-site staffing to 25%, which seems a little low to me, uh, given the uh, the our ability to have masks and, and social distancing. But then, as of August the 2nd, they have backed down now to 10%. So they only have 10% of the workforce. Now, you and I talked earlier, and we're assuming that quite a number of these records are computerized. And so in a lot of cases, people working remotely probably can handle a normal request. But if your records were damaged in that fire they had some years ago, and that affected both Army uh, personnel and Air Force personnel within a specific uh, time frame, then you've got to have a researcher go into the archives and maybe look at the records of the units you served with and try to trace your military career. And that's not anything that can be done electronically, to my knowledge. So with only 10% of the researchers on staff, uh, it's no wonder that publicly they're saying that they're only taking emergency requests for medically oriented records. Uh, But I can imagine that would take a while. And uh, you're right. If people uh, such as me, I'm an Agent Orange survivor. Fortunately, I was able to determine early uh, in my uh, diseases, and I was nine months away from dying, but I was able to get that diagnosed and get that through the system. And I had all my records because my father, who was military 28 and a half years, told me to keep copies of everything. So I had everything. But if you didn't have it, and quite a few of the comrades in my post and those I know in the state of Georgia don't may not be able to know where their DD-214 is uh, or their orders, uh, then they're stuck going to uh, St. Louis, and they will not get a good response now. So that's the situation. Um, Al Lippart, my uh, good comrade in the VFW and, and the National Council Administration representative from Georgia, is going to look into this and see if we can't get the uh, leadership of the National VFW to put some pressure uh, on the appropriate people. Well, you know, I look at it maybe uh, maybe jadedly, I don't know, but we all took the same oath, and as we took that oath, the person sitting across the table from us, representing the United States, our country, said, well, gentlemen, you know, you will have benefits from the government when you get out, and uh, we're proud to have you in, and and we'll take care of you on the other side. Well, this isn't taking care of us. No, it's not. And I, like I said, maybe this is a jaded look at things, but not just because I'm having problems, but more seriously, veterans across the country have to be having problems. And like I said at the beginning, it could be killing them. And my personal feeling is that the government should jump through their... They should do anything that they have to do to get it up and running. Right. Efficiently. And, you know, as stupid as I am, I had it in mind. I served in two different organizations. 
the Texas National Guard, and the three-tenth Civil Affairs Unit, which is, is Army Reserve, or was. And I went, I'd never heard of retirement points. Uh, and I was a company clerk. I had no idea what they, when I was asked for them. And I went to Texas, and within two weeks, I had them. All of, all of my requirements, everything. And I go, and I hit a brick wall with, with the personnel records. And... Um, that's not right. I thought they. I. I had it in my mind that I could call them. I could tell them my name, the unit I was in, and give them my social security numbers and and the my uh, printer and start printing out the stuff. You right. know. Right. That's how naive I am. And um, I guess the bottom line of this is just what you said about what your father said, and we'll reiterate is that if you're in the military, whether it's reserves, whatever you're in, be sure and get all of your medical records. That 201 file is yours. Right, that's right. And uh, you you crawl through mud and ate, ate out of a metal tray in a lightning and thunderstorm, and they have to give you that information. And if when you, when I, when I left or when I was discharged from uh, the Army Reserve here, nobody briefed me on any of this stuff. <clears throat> they said, you better have this, you better have that. I took some of it, and I have my uh, DD-214 and my uh, National Guard 254 or whatever it is, but, and my honorable discharges from both units. I definitely have those. But... Um, you know, you you can't take too much, and you need everything that you can get your hands up. So let's talk about your activity, Jim. I know you're you're very active, obviously, in the VFW, and you know what we were just talking about with personnel records. This is something that not only the VFW but uh, American Legion, on and on, any of the service organizations. They have service officers that will help you. And if you're listening and you're not a veteran or, or the, you're the spouse of a veteran and don't know what benefits your husband may have received or is entitled to, you're entitled to them as well. That's correct. And you need to... You need to go to a, a VFW, American Legion, whatever you want to go to, whatever is closest, and talk to a service officer about the potential benefits. And I hate to mention this, but the burial benefits, yes, whatever they are. And if if you need that uh, information, you can go, you can search on the web for a VFW post uh, near your. Uh, uh, your town or city and call them and if you don't get a response from them then check with another post uh, if you're in Georgia and you can't get a response go to www.vfw12002.org that's our website for post 12002 and we've got contact information for all our officers 
and you can call me, for instance, as a quartermaster, adjutant, or the commander, and do that. Uh, let me also uh, point out, regarding our, la- our previous conversation, I did find that there may be another way of getting service records. If you Google request your military service records, you should find a URL for www.va.gov slash records slash get military service records, where they're, that's hyphenated. Uh, it will tell you that you have to have something called a premium DSS logon account, so they will re- con- redirect you to an organization called Mill Connect, and then there's a fairly extensive process uh, for you to go through to get that account. And the reason is, is it's extensive is that it's very secure, and they want to make sure they know exactly who you are and that you're entitled. But it took me about 10 minutes to get an account. Um, and you have to set up questions, and they actually, I'd not seen this before, you have to pick an image that whenever you log on, they give you like 12 images, and you've got to go select the one you picked. Hmm. So there's a lot of security in there to defeat robots. But anyway, Google request your military service records and find that va.gov slash records slash get military service records uh, website and maybe that'll help some of the folks out there you know i'm glad that's available but being the cynic that i am how did they get them well i'm assuming as as you are that the va and the record center has done the right thing and are digitizing a good portion of these records and probably everything that's coming out now uh, from servicemen and women who are getting out of the service, it's probably already stored digitally anyway. And I would imagine that this website then is able to access uh, programmatically uh, those digital records. And once you validate yourself with that DS logon, then you can go in and submit an online request, which I'm assuming should not have to go through a researcher at the uh, National uh, Personnel Record Center. Well, that's good to know, and, and uh, if, you know, <laughs> I tell you, age gets me all the time, and I mean to start every show by telling people to get something to write with and get something to write on, and uh, the information that Jim just put out, uh, you need to know. And if you don't, if you are... A veteran, and you don't have your DD-214, get it. I don't care if you... I don't care what you have to do, but you need... You're dead in the water if you don't have your DD-214. That's that's your starting point with almost everything when you go to get your benefits and and need your benefits, and you don't know when you're going to need them. And uh, have your... Have all the information, and not only have it, have it, one, in a safe place, and two, where somebody else tells somebody else, this is, this is my military information, and it's in the file drawer, it's in here, it's in there. Maybe in many cases it should be in your safety deposit box at the bank. Yeah. Uh, you don't want it destroyed and have to go through going through uh, all of the stuff that you have to so 
if you've if you've served your country, you deserve the benefits that they promised. When I got out of the service in 1970, uh, and that was in Virginia Beach, Virginia, my father, who uh, retired after 28 and a half years of active military service, plus another 20 years of uh, government civil service, took me down to the courthouse in Virginia Beach, and we registered my DD-214. So if all else fails, any member of my family could go to the courthouse in Virginia Beach and retrieve that record. Nowadays, of course, I've got it on so many hard drives and flash drives because I've scanned it, and I recommend the same thing to uh, to all of our comrades in the VFW and, and therefore to all veterans out there. Scan it, put it somewhere, put it on a uh, thumb drive, stick that in your safe deposit box. Uh, then you can print it out anytime you want to. Uh, also, this would be a good opportunity, I think, if you are a veteran, uh, join a veterans organization if you're not a combat veteran if you didn't deploy to an area where you got a campaign ribbon then join the american legion if you are a combat veteran then i'd recommend you join both the american legion and the vfw because both organizations have legislative committees that go to washington and talk with the elected officials Now, the VFW is the only organization, to my knowledge, that has a full-time paid professional group that is in Washington that is constantly tracking all of the bills and all of the veterans' issues that those bills should take care of. As well as twice a year, Georgia sends a legislative committee up there, and they make appointments with every congressman from the state of Georgia and both of the senators to talk with them. So by being members of these organizations, you increase the clout that they have. Uh, Some veterans will say, well, I really don't have time to join another organization. And what we tell them, David, is that the first level of membership of any of these organizations is just join and pay your annual dues. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to go to a meeting. You don't have to go to conventions like I do. Just pay your dues, and that way you're counted when the legislative folks go up to Washington. And then if you have time, then become active. I've been a life member of the VFW since I was 30 years old. Uh, Not by my choice, my dad being a lot smarter than I was, although as a college graduate I thought I was smarter than he, but that is not true. He gave me a life membership on my 30th birthday, and I never realized what a wonderful gift that was. And then about 10 years ago, when we started getting veterans, both men and women, back from what I call the sandbox, I told my wife that I wanted to get involved with a local post. And that started my journey of activity with the VFW because I wanted to be able to be in a position to help these folks. Just like we had Agent Orange of Vietnam, they've got the burn pits uh, over there. And, and let me add something to it, and maybe you were going to say this anyway, but register. They have a burn pit registry already. Yes. Yep. And um, <clears throat> certainly the Agent Orange folks, generally speaking, I would say most have registered at this point if you were in a situation. And it doesn't mean that you have to have any effects from it at the moment or anything else. You just need to register that I was exposed 
I, I served in Iraq, or I served in uh, the Middle East during Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and I want to register. You're you're exactly right, and then as hopefully you won't develop symptoms and you won't have issues, but we know that that's not the case. That's going to happen. As you develop symptoms, as you encounter medical issues, it's important then for the VA to know that because in there they start to build a statistical database of what eventually may be presumptive. So there are many type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, are all presumed to be linked to Agent Orange exposure. So anyone with those conditions is automatically going to get some level of support from the VA. And, you know, I've, I've had veterans say, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to. But, you know, these bills can add up very quickly. And uh, I... Uh, you know, that's why the VA is there. Absolutely. And, and I've, I've been very fortunate. When I submitted my request, I did it online, and it only took a couple of months for them to get back with me. Uh, there were no issues. Uh, being an engineer, I was, I was structured, and I had all my documents and put all, everything in there. And now the VA takes care of all, all of my medical benefits. And as well, thanks to uh, President Trump, now, if you have a VA car that says service connected on it, then you have access to the facilities at any base in the United States and overseas as well, for that matter. You, you just have to register with them, and you can go to the PX and the commissary and use some of the uh, uh, recreational facilities as well. Well, Jim, thank you for your service. And you served in NOM, right? That's correct. And... Uh, that had to be an experience unto itself, and uh, at least, and, and we don't take any credit for it at all. But at least coming back from the Middle East was a, has been a lot better because of Vietnam veterans, in fact, uh, that were at the airports meeting them as That's they right. came back. Yes. And the VFW, I know, does a lot with with, uh, with that. And, uh, you know, to be ordered not to wear your uniform when you're flying and going through an airport was, you know, I, I had made it through BASIC and AIT and... Uh, <clears throat> I was proud of myself and was going to wear my uniform and was ordered not to wear my uniform coming back from uh, AIT. So, Yeah, unfortunately that was the case. Uh, in my case, it was as if with my father's family and my mother's family, uh, the last three years of my life just didn't exist because no one said thank you for your service. Uh, we're, we're glad you're, you're home safe. How was it? Uh, what was the experience like? There was just no conversation. So, you know, fortunately, I had a military father, and uh, he, he welcomed me back. In fact, he and I and my brother were in Saigon at the, on the same day of my mother's birthday wow. because of some uh, 
I had extended, and therefore, Dad had already left uh, continental United States to come to Vietnam, and they didn't know I had extended. So, uh, yeah, that was not a wonderful day for my mother. No. <laughs> exactly. I was talking to a young man uh, recently. Well, I say young man. Uh, I guess he's not that young because he was a Vietnam veteran, and he was just recently awarded his Bronze Star after 50 years. Wow. Because somehow... In, in the bureaucracy or it got lost or a company clerk didn't do the right thing uh, and he was uh, that's talking. right I always blame it on the company clerk it, well we don't know yeah, <laughs> I've got a story about that for another time and uh, so but he was telling me and by the way we recruited him for the uh, uh, for the VFW and he's now a life member of our post he was telling me that when he got back and and I don't know what airport he was in but when he de- deplaned at the airport uh, a young man in the airport walked up and ripped his medals off his uniform yeah and he got in trouble because he retaliated but I can't imagine that I can't either you know, I can't imagine that well you know even today the the people that are anti-military, anti-police, you know, Jim, and and I started bringing this up uh, probably a, a month ago, a month and a half ago, and I, I just I can't imagine defunding the police. I wouldn't be a police officer if, for anything, and we we are a country. Not a city, not a state. We are a country of first responders. And we respond to whether it's our country or a foreign country that is hit by a hurricane or is hit by whatever. We are the first there to help. And just like with our police and our EMTs and, you know, we owe them so much. And... We have to appreciate our first responders and our military, our police, our EMT, EMTs, uh, everyone that responds. Because I was an EMT many, many years ago when I was in school and college, and um, you didn't know what you were driving into. You know, we'd get a call that somebody had been shot or somebody had been this or that. And, and uh, you know, we were, there was always, there could be apprehension. You know, if it was a car wreck, that was one thing. But depending on the area and depending on what the call was, you didn't know what you were driving up to. And uh, that's the same way with the military. They go in. And nobody has given them a, I don't want to say truthful, but nobody's given them an exact explanation of what you're going into. Did anybody tell you exactly what you would see and happen in Vietnam? No. And in fact, to the opposite, a lot of the training you have uh, tries to get to downplay the risk you have. Uh, but to provide you with the skills to survive a combat situation. Uh, one of the anecdotes that I like to share with, uh, with people is that in my basic training company, 
of, uh, well, actually, in my basic training platoon of 40 recruits at Fort Benning, Georgia, only three of us were not infantrymen as far as an MOS, military occupational specialty. Uh, Of 40, 37 went immediately from basic training to infantry training and thence to Vietnam. And I am very happy to say that not one of those 37 names is on the wall in, in Washington, D.C. Or I, I, I might add at Johns Creek yes, in Newtown Park. That, that's a good point. Uh, and I don't know if that's just a statistical anomaly, or maybe it was that our drill instructor was really, really good at, at drilling into us, no pun intended, uh, the necessary skills of, I mean, things like you wouldn't think about. Low crawling. I can still low crawl like you wouldn't believe. I still remember how to throw a grenade from a uh, supine prone position because Sergeant Frederick drilled that into us. And I suspect that that may have had something to do with uh, the survival of those 37 young men because they were the salt of the earth. I did my basic and AIT at uh, Fort Ord and um, because it was a jungle, uh, jungle training and stuff. And uh, it was interesting. But And uh, Sergeant Polino was my DI. And, um, you know, that was in AIT, not in, in uh, well, no, no, I'm sorry, that was in basic. And then my, my uh, platoon sergeant in AIT was a high school friend. How about that? <laughs> it was, it was uh, Danny Nowak. And, uh, you know, you just don't know. The, you're, when you join the military and... I always put a plug in for the military that if you haven't, if you're coming out of high school and don't know what you're going to do, or coming out of college and you don't know what to do, there's a branch of the military that has an occupation for you and will fill your needs and give you a resume that is second to none. And, uh, Please, if you're coming out of school and don't know what you're doing, take a look at the military. If it's not the Army, then it could be the Navy. If it's not the Navy, it could be the Marines. Or or we've had some interesting folks on from the Coast Guard. Absolutely, yes. And uh, They, too, serve. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you know, when... uh, how I entered the military was I was at University of Virginia and I was on a full scholarship because uh, my dad was just a sergeant in the army um, and you know we weren't poor but but the family didn't have massive amounts of money and it turns out I didn't like the university so I withdrew and came home and the interesting thing is two days after I came home my greeting selective service uh, letter came so obviously the admissions office at UVA was tied into the selective service board and my dad said I remember him saying this exactly he said son you're too smart to be a bullet launcher carrier 
small arms infantrymen, and I'm not demeaning that. Uh, yes, sir. That I, I was a, I was eleven Bravo. Right, because that they they're the point of the spear uh, in the army, and I have great respect for them. He said, "Don't be drafted. Volunteer for three or four years. I don't care if you go in the Air Force or the Navy. You don't have to go in the Army, but find a technical specialty." where you will get training in the military that you can then take to the civilian world. And I took his, took his advice. As it turned out, the, uh, the Army had something that, uh, that uh, really uh, appealed to me, and that was computer repair. And as it turned out, these were the computers that typically were used uh, in fire direction centers of artillery batteries. And so I got great electronics training, computer training that I then leveraged uh, to a 50-plus year career uh, out, out in the high-tech industry. But that got me started. And when I see young men, even out of college, that really don't know what they want to do, and maybe their grades aren't the greatest in the world, it's very competitive out there, I tell them to consider going into the military uh, because they're going to they're gonna have a job there for three, five, maybe ten years guaranteed if you just keep your act together and they're going to have an opportunity to learn leadership and to be a leader, uh, learn how to be a good follower. And those are skills that uh, every hiring employer wants to see. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to, just because I skipped it initially twice, uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Jim Davis right after a couple of words. Hi. This is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on David's Pick on America's Web Radio with our guest, Jim Davis, today. And, Jim, you have some information you want to share. Absolutely. Uh, Before the break, David, you had mentioned um, the tough job that our our first responders have. And this applies to both the police as well as, as the EMTs. I would say 20 or 25 years ago, if I got stopped, maybe for a traffic violation, I was kind of laissez-faire about it, you know, just like, okay, what's going on here? But nowadays, given the pressure and and the potential threats that are outside out there, especially to our police officers, I immediately, I put my window down, 
I look straight ahead, I put my hands on the top of the wheel, and I do not move until that officer comes up and asks me for my identification. And when he or she does, I say my identification is my is in my left rear pocket. Uh, may I get it, or would you prefer that I exit the vehicle? Because you and I and, and the listeners have, have all seen those horrendous videos where a traffic officer walks up to a car that they pulled over for speeding or improper turn, and then all of a sudden they're fired upon by one or more people in the car. I think that our police officers and then also firefighters and EMTs when they're responding may have a more dangerous job out there than actually our military personnel because at least the military personnel have a lot of people with them. They have support, uh, and they've got combat training, and our policemen don't necessarily get that uh, level of training, yet they are subject to the same level of threat that the military is. Uh, We at the VFW uh, will walk up all the time to any EMT firefighter or policeman and tell them how much we appreciate their service to our nation because that is as important as being a soldier and and going abroad i'd like to add one thing to that if you see someone in uniform or you see someone that's wearing a baseball cap i served on the uss whatever and you're in an airport or you know and It'll make them feel good, and you'll you'll think, well, I'm I'm doing something special for them. Buy them a cup of coffee, a drink, a meal, whatever you feel like doing. But let me assure you, yes, anybody, any military, they will appreciate you doing that and thanking them for their service. No question about it. But it'll make you feel a whole lot better than it does them. Uh, because you've done something, you've shown your appreciation, and a lot of the, a lot of times that person flying through or going through the airport may not have been home for six months or That's right. you know two years. Who knows? And uh, same way with uh, I was fortunate, and uh, it was more fun than you could imagine. I was in D.C. when uh, Clinton was in office, and. Uh, the D.C. police, I was staying at one of the Marriott's uh, downtown, and uh, Clinton was going somewhere, and or there had been a protest, and, and I think, I don't know how many cops, but they were all over the roof with uh, their snipers and all this stuff. And uh, as they would come down, and it was a rather chilly evening in, uh, in D.C., but as they would come down off the roof... I'd buy him dinner, and uh, you know it wound up. Nice. It was uh, not free, but it you know it just made me feel good, and uh, to show the appreciation that I have for for them. I didn't know one of them, obviously, but uh, a lot of them stayed in contact for two or three years after that, and uh, uh, you know. They do a heck of a job, and like you said, man or woman, if they have a badge on, they're working hard, and I I can't imagine leaving the house in the morning or at midnight and not knowing whether I'm coming back to see my family or not. That's right. 
And it's got to be tough on the families. Oh, uh, it, it is. I mean, it's the police families face the same level of stress that military families do when their sponsor is uh, overseas. Oh, yeah. And uh, we, we have several organizations like Warriors to Citizens. And, you know, it's sort of like there are a lot of silent killers, and PTSD is one of them. And uh, the stress that, you know, uh, that a soldier is under or a policeman's under or a EMT or a fireman, um, we just, I, I can't think of anything worse than not respecting our police or throwing a water bottle or a frozen water bottle at, at a police officer. I can't, you know... My way of thinking, I should give the I'd give the police the right to turn around and shoot them. Um, I, might. I, I agree with you there, and you know, to the contrary, uh, under the congressional charter, uh, the VFW has formal programs for uh, reaching out into the community where, where each post is located, and uh, I'm I'm using as a reference here a. Uh, a document that we put together in our in our program in our post to uh, call community programs, and for instance, every year we give out a three teacher awards to three levels of, of education w- within high school, and we pick the best teacher in each of those grade levels in our four city area. Um, we also do the same thing for firefighters. We pick a firefighter of the year. We pick an EMT of the year. We pick a law enforcement officer of the year. And every one of those winners at the post level is then up to the district level. And the district level then votes on that and evaluates them. And they pick a district winner. District winners go up to the state. State goes up to the national level. And so there's a national award there, and there are there are monetary awards at at each level, and so for instance, uh, we give two hundred fifty dollars to each of the teachers and and to each of the uh, first responders that that we pick in our area, and then our, our district does the same thing. In addition to that, we do a lot for students, not only teachers but also students, and there are two programs. Uh, that a lot of people are probably not aware of. One is called Patriot's Pin, and that is for students in grades 6 to 8. That's an annual essay contest. Hmm. And at our level, we give first, second, and third prizes. Uh, At the national level, I believe you can get up to $5,000 in a scholarship award. Now, for the older students in grades 9 through 12, there's something called the Voice of Democracy program. Now, that's an oral essay. So you submit the written essay, but then you have to record it and submit that orally, and then that's judged. The national winner of that gets a $30,000 scholarship, college scholarship. So that's that's not small potatoes no, there. No, no. Uh, and as well, we also recognize uh, the Junior ROTC Cadet of the Year and 
senior ROC, ROTC cadet of the year. So there's a lot of things that that we do uh, in the VFW, and it uh, it costs a lot of money. Uh, we we spend about fourteen thousand dollars a year in awards, both direct and indirect costs for these programs. But it's our honor and our pleasure to do so. And to, to see these young men and women receive those accolades, uh, especially go to the uh, state convention and see the state winner there, uh, and, and to hear their essays, uh, also to see the best scout of the year, could be a Boy Scout, could be a Girl Scout, and they're just fine young people, and it, it kind of buoys your spirits up, David, to see these type of people because they're very patriotic and they love their country. And there's a few people in, in this country right now that, that don't have that level of patriotism or love, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, those people should be introduced to a Marine drill sergeant. <laughs> that might change their outlook on life. One would hope so. And, you know, talking about police, and I, when I was an EMT, I, I, obviously we worked closely with the, the police and got to know a lot of them. But I tell you what, somebody that has a problem with police, I would like to throw them in a dark, empty warehouse at night with no lights and let them go out, let them go in and find the bad guy. Right. Yes. I'm sorry, but... I'm a chicken. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Don't want any part of that. That scares me just thinking about it, you know? Interesting enough, uh, we all talk about, when we talk to our uh, law enforcement officers, uh, we tend to tell them, we've got your back. Yeah. And in my case, I've actually physically had their back a couple of times. Uh, And I'll just share with you one time. It was a few decades ago, and it was downtown Atlanta. I had dropped off my date for the night uh, at, uh, at her apartment, and I was driving through the surface streets, taking shortcuts to get back to, uh, uh, to the interstate, and I happened to pass by a, a police car. It had pulled a vehicle over, and this policeman had someone up against the car in, in the traditional pose with their legs spread and hands out, but as he was trying to get the handcuffs on this person, uh, the guy kept reaching for the policeman's gun. And the vehicle I had back then didn't have air conditioning, so I tended to ride around with the windows down. So I heard what was going on, and I stopped, and I backed up, and I asked the, the officer if I could provide him assistance. He said, I'm not sure what you can do unless you're armed. And I said, well, I am an armed citizen, uh, and I happen to have a... Uh, uh, a Colt Gold Cup National Match 70 Series 45 caliber pistol uh, sitting right here. And he said, do you know how to use it? I said, yes, sir, I do. I shoot competitively uh, in, in the national uh, programs. He said, will you shoot this miscreant if he tries to go for my gun? I said, if that's what you want me to do, absolutely. He said, well, why don't you get out of the car and take a position over there? And he said to that person, did you hear, hear what I just said? If you try to reach for my gun while I'm trying to handcuff you, I've authorized this citizen to shoot you. So now we're going to try this all over again. 
And that uh, that guy did not resist at that point because I was off on his flank in a low ready position, ready to do what that officer asked me to do if necessary. And he said, thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it. I said, no problem, officer. You know, stories like that, I wish more people, you know, I I think for some reason people think that police officers are different. They're just people, too. Correct. Doing a job, wanting to go home at night, and, uh, you know, and they do need help at times. And, uh, you know, I have all the respect in the world for them, and uh, I've never been put in that position, and quite frankly, I hope I'm not, but I do carry and have a license to carry, and I've been trained. Yeah, you know, if you go through the military, you get some weapons training. Correct. And the other thing that a lot of folks don't understand, and we do a show called Locked and Loaded, and uh, we always talk about training, but, you know, it has to be mind training as well. And being able, it's like if anything breaks out here, I've been trained, and you know what I've been trained as, and uh, yeah, yeah, you have to be mentally trained as well as proficiently trained. Absolutely correct. I ran into a Atlanta police officer uh, a few decades back, and at that time I was competing in the uh, NRA uh, pistol competition. And which involved 22 and 30 caliber and 45, and all of a sudden my groups weren't really good, and I was at a range and I asked uh, the owner of the range if they knew of anybody who was an instructor, and they pointed to this uh, gray-haired man over in the corner, and so I went over and talked to him, and I told him what my problem was, and he asked me why did I want to learn how to shoot, and I said, well. I enjoy shooting competitively because it's an individual sport. It's just you and that pistol. And in most cases, the pistol is a lot better shot than you are. <laughs> and it requires discipline and concentration. But there's, there's a great reward in getting a very tight group at 50 yards using iron sights. And I said, but from a defensive point of view, uh, I would like to be able to defend my, my family and our possessions if in the situation where I hope it never happens but someone breaks in and is trying to either harm us or steal from us. Uh, and he said, what would you do? And I said, well, if necessary, I'd, I'd have to kill somebody to protect my wife, my child. He said, Mr. Davis, you have said the magic word. He said, most gun owners don't realize that what they have as a tool is a tool for taking a life. And sometimes they just don't mentally know that. He said, so now that I know that you know that's a possibility, I will be happy to take you on as a student. And it took him about five minutes to figure out what my problem was. And it was old eyes. And he gave me a drill for covering it, and then my scores were back up again. But you're right about the mental aspect. Before we close out today, David, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, a program we have that we talked about, I think, uh, two years ago, and that is 
Operation Santa. This is something that our post does. Every year, we buy targeted Christmas gifts uh, for all of the children of all of the Georgia servicemen and servicewomen who are deployed during Christmas that we are made aware of. Now, obviously, some are deployed, and we, we don't know that they're gone, and, and we're not in contact with their units. In order to fund that, every November, on the Friday before Veterans Day, we have a fundraiser at Bridge Mill Athletic Club that we call the Freedom Fighters Open. And it's a, it's a golf tournament, but also there's, uh, there's raffles and, and uh, silent auctions and, and, and such. The gentleman that started that 15 years ago was a member of Post 12002. His name is Christian Stevens. And Christian was a former Ranger. In fact, I believe he and his Ranger partner were Ranger of the Year uh, one year at Fort Benning in that competition they hold annually. Christian was also a professional skydiver, an avid skydiver. And he would go all across the nation jumping into shows and when he could get paid for that, then he would put that money toward the Operation Santa. Uh, <clears throat> tragically, last year in February, Christian was down in Florida, and he was jumping with his professional team, Fast Tracks, and they were practicing something, I think it was called a 14-point star, where they had 14 or, or more jumpers coming out of an airplane and then orienting themselves into a geometric shape. And it was to celebrate a SpaceX launch on the following day. Well, they were practicing the day prior, and they had successfully executed the maneuver. And so they separated, pulled their chutes, and went in to land. As Christian was coming in to land, another uh, jumper who was not a professional jumper, not watching what he was doing, from what we tell, collided, and their chutes merged together. And from what I can tell, Christian knew that unless he separated them, that they both were going to be injured uh, very severely. So he completely collapsed his chute, from what I've been told, to separate from this young man, but his chute never reinflated. And so he hit the ground very, very hard uh, and didn't survive uh, the landing. He is being nominated for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame uh, for this year. Oh, great. We don't know if he's, he's going to get in this year or not because they, they have limitation on those numbers. Uh, we're hoping he will eventually get in because he spent 15 years of service to Georgia deployed veterans and their families, and we feel that he, he should be honored for that. Uh, so I will be posting some information on our website. Again, that's uh, vfw12002.org, and people who are interested can go on there. Uh, we also will be taking the uh, electronic registration for the golf tournament and also be looking for people to sponsor us, and that's November the 5th. Great. And uh, with that... I hope you wrote, wrote it down, and we're going to have to get out of here and uh, make room for our next show. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.